From the heart of our nation's capital, here's Family Research Council President Tony Perkins. Good afternoon. Hope you had a fantastic weekend. Welcome to this Monday edition of Washington Watch. I'm Jody Heiss, a senior vice president here at the Family Research Council, filling in today for Tony, and we'll fill you in a little bit more about that a little bit later on. But this week, by the way, let me just start with this. This week marks 11 years since the Family Research Council launched Washington Watch with Tony Perkins as a radio program And so I just want to begin, first of all, by thanking all of those who are behind the scenes making Washington Watch happen each and every day. A huge thank you, of course, to Tony Perkins for the vision and making this happen 11 years ago, and to each of you for your participation in it as well. What an amazing 11 years. Thank you so much for helping that happen, and thank you yet again today for making Washington Watch part of your day. All right, coming up on today's program, the continuing drumbeat of publicity on the crisis at our southern border literally appears to have Democrats finally budging on a border security agreement. Uh, We actually could have some language in a deal ready sometime midweek. Next, hopefully this week to be able to get that out. Everybody will have time to be able to read it and go through it. No one's going to be jammed in this process, uh, but it's a matter of trying to be able to get this out. But to make law, we've got to have a Democrat Senate, a Democrat White House, and a Republican House to be able to go through this. Well, that was lead Republican negotiator, Senator James Langford, yesterday on Fox News Sunday. And Missouri Congressman Mark Alford, who recently went to the border, he'll be joining me in just a few moments to discuss this. And then we have attorneys generals in 27 states who have now filed an amicus brief to the U.S. Supreme Court supporting former President Donald Trump's appeal of the decision by Colorado judges to remove him from the Colorado presidential ballot. The court is gonna take a very close look at the insurrection clause And I'm very hopeful they're going to conclude that this is something that needs to have clear pronouncement from Congress, because if you don't, you would have that chaos across the country. A huge issue. That was West Virginia Attorney General Patrick Morrissey earlier today discussing the amicus brief that he is co-leading with Indiana's Attorney General and the Attorney General from Ohio, Dave Yost who has also joined that coalition of states. He'll be joining me a little bit later in the program to discuss it. And speaking of attorneys generals, Louisiana's former AG, Jeff Landry, has been inaugurated as that state's 57th governor. And guess who delivered the inaugural prayer last night? Father, we break with the ways of the past where we leaned on governmental schemes and political power today we declare that we will look to you and to the power of the Holy Spirit. Yes, that was our very own Tony Perkins, president here at the Family Research Council and your regular host here on Washington Watch. He delivered the inaugural prayer outside the Louisiana State Capitol in Baton Rouge. It was a powerful, powerful inauguration. And he'll join us later in the program with an update not only of that inaugural prayer and the events, but also his thoughts on what victories like this in Louisiana and elsewhere, what these mean for the direction of our country. 
And then a little bit later on, as we all have now seen and to some extent been fearful of, we all are aware that Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is drawing a lot of criticism for his bizarre failure to notify the White House of his hospitalization last week. This is not the Secretary of Transportation or Housing and Urban Development. This is the Secretary of Defense who's in the chain of command, including the nuclear chain of command, who has to be reachable and whose whereabouts and conditions have to be known at all times by the commander in chief. Yes, well, that was Senator Tom Cotton earlier today on Fox. And FRC's General Jerry Boykin, who certainly knows a thing or two about the chain of command, command. he'll be joining me to discuss how in the world do we have a communication breakdown like this, how it could occur. And uh, we'll talk about the overall leadership of President Biden with General Jerry Boykin a little bit later in the program. And by way of reminder, our website, as you are well aware, TonyPerkins.com, in case you miss any portion of today's program, we encourage you to go there to find it. Also, a host of archived programs are there as well, along with tons of resources. So keep that website handy and available, TonyPerkins.com. All right, let's jump into the program for today. The effort by Republicans to keep pressure on the Biden administration for its chaotic mismanagement of the southern border actually appears to be paying off as border security negotiations continue trending, and I'll use that word purposefully, in the right direction. Oklahoma Senator James Lang Langford is leading uh, the Senate ne negotiations, and he's expecting sometime this week for the language to come out, and uh, he's going to be talking about some of that, in fact, with the House Republican Study Committee uh, to uh, discuss the deal. And he says we're making significant progress on the southern border. Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is Congressman Mark Alford. He serves on the House Armed Services Committee as well as the Agricultural Committee, and he represents the 4th Congressional District of the great state of Missouri. Congressman Alford, always great to have you on the program. Good to see you. Thank you, Jody. Good to be with you. All right. Well, you recently were on the border with Speaker Johnson and a number of your, your colleagues. Uh, we are, as I just mentioned, expecting some language for a possible secure border security deal uh, later on this week. But from your experience, what you saw, tell us what, what that experience was like for you. Well, I certainly will. I am eager to see this information, this deal that's been struck, that Senator Lankford's working out. I am a member of the Republican Study Committee, so I'll be seeing that as well as the other House members. But look, it is so important. Uh, finally, finally, Jody, the Democrats have gotten on board with this and figured out that we have to secure our border. This has been languishing for years. You know, with a wink and a nod, President Biden has welcomed almost nine million illegal aliens into our nation. Uh, we, we welcome legal immigration. Legal immigrants are part of the fabric of America, but this process, this crisis, this chaos is ripping apart America right now. And so what we saw, some 60 of us who went down with Speaker Mike Johnson to the border last week, we saw firsthand the chaos, the chaos of this administration, Secretary Mayorkas, who needs to be impeached, uh, will not classify as a crisis. They call it a challenge. Look, this isn't selling used cars. It's not a challenge, Secretary Mayorkas. This is a crisis that you and President Biden created. We saw the processing center, a nine-step process where illegals come in 1,500s a day in the Del Rio sector. They are processed. It takes about 36 hours. 
roughly 90% of them are released into the interior of America after that. If you have a uh, chronic illness, say kidney failure, you're on dialysis, or perhaps you have cancer, they take you to San Antonio to a hospital there, check you in, and the VA picks up the tab. Yes, illegal aliens are getting preferential treatment over our veterans. We saw illegal aliens right as we're standing there, Jody. We are by the Rio Grande River, just feet away, and 11 illegals from Venezuela made their way across the Rio Grande into our nation, tried to cut the concertina wire where we were standing right there. This is a humanitarian crisis. We've got to secure the border. We absolutely have to secure it. And I, I've been to every sector. I've seen much of what you saw, but what you just described just now, Congressman, even goes beyond some of the things that I witnessed personally. And it, it is phenomenal. It is unthinkable that this type of thing is happening in the United States of America. Now, you, you mentioned a moment ago that you believe Democrats are beginning to recognize this is a problem for what it actually is. Do you seriously believe that? Do you think the Democrats are starting to catch on that the southern border is indeed a national security crisis? They have known this for a long time. They do not want to admit it because they want these illegals to eventually become voters. And in the meantime, they're certainly going to be counted in the 2030 census and could tip the balance of power in the U.S. House. It only takes 750,000 people to make up one congressional district. You do the math. Uh, illegals who are in our nation will be counted in the 2030 census. They want those people here uh, not to be a part of the fabric of America, but uh, so that they can give them things through the government, health care, legal protections, uh, load them up with all the goodies, and then guess who they're going to favor in any election they might be able to vote for. It's going to be Democrats. Uh, I think it's despicable what this administration has done, creating this human uh, humanitarian crisis. One more thing about what we learned on this trip. $32 million a week is going back to the cartels who are ferrying these people over. It's anywhere from five to $8,000 per trip for these individuals, and they don't have that money. So they go to work in the human sex trade here in America so they can pay off their debt to these cartels. A hundred thousand yeah, children a are unaccounted for in America in this process. That's despicable. It, it, it is unbelievable. Thirty two million a week that the cartels are bringing in. That's more. Uh, yeah. And that's just in that that sector, uh, which in one week is more than that entire the budget for that sector for the entire year. Uh, it's, at least that was the case when I was there, and that's um, it's unreal. Listen, speaking of national security, if I can switch gears on you real quickly, what in the world is going on with national security at the Pentagon when we have the Secretary of Defense, Lloyd Austin, keeping a secret from the president that he's in the hospital? Well, being a member of the Armed Services Committee, I'm hoping that we get a briefing on this. This is unacceptable for someone who's in the chain of command uh, the Secretary of Defense to not give an account of where he is. I'm not really surprised that President Biden didn't know the whereabouts or where Secretary Austin was. I don't think the president knows himself where he is half the time. Uh, but this is inexcusable. <laughs> we, have, we have an inept administration. Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin is part of that, and we need change. And that change is coming, and that's why I endorse today President Trump for president once again the united states of america he's going to bring about that change 
Yeah, it's a, you know, it's a sad reality, and I, it really underscores sad when you talk about the president. I'm sure you saw him having trouble getting off the stage yet again this past week. I, if I can hit on this one last, Congress is coming back this week. I know you've got a lot of plates spinning. A lot is taking place. But uh, on the final details, what are you hearing about the spending bill? Well, look, uh, I haven't been able to read the text. It has not been offered to us yet as members of Congress. Just a brief summary. There was no border security attached to that. That is my number one concern. Number two concern and number three concern right now is secure the border, whatever it takes to secure the border. That being aside, I did not vote for the FRA and I did not vote for a continuing resolution this time. And basically, this is a package that lumps those two together. The FRA numbers at $1.6 billion of spending through October and then this continuing resolution. Uh, so I'm not, uh, it's not looking good. Look, you can put lipstick on a pig, but I'm not kissing this pig. Well, it sounds like uh, there's a lot of work yet to be done in getting this whole spending bill addressed, all the appropriation bills across the finish line and avoiding a potential shutdown. We will be keeping a pulse on it all. And Congressman Mark Offord, as always, it's an honor to see you. Thank you for taking time out of your schedule you. to join us on Washington Watch. God bless you. All right, friends, coming up, uh, we have attorney generals in 27 states who have filed an amicus brief with the Supreme Court in support of Donald Trump's Colorado appeal. And one of those attorneys generals will be joining me from Ohio right after this break. So you don't want to miss it. Stay tuned. We'll be back in just a moment. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. 
Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Well, good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in today for Tony. All right, the attorney generals in West Virginia and Indiana announced that they are co-leading a 27-state coalition urging the U.S. Supreme Court to reverse a Colorado court's decision to bounce former President Donald Trump from the Colorado presidential ballot. The states recognize that even as President Biden continues fear-mongering speeches claiming that democracy is in peril, the fact is that trust in the integrity of our elections is essential to a free republic. And this includes trust that votes will not be diluted by activist judges in other states. Well, joining me now to discuss this is Ohio Attorney General Dave Yost, who has joined this coalition of states Uh, Attorney General Yost, welcome back to Washington Watch. Great to have you. Good to be with you. All right, so let's begin with why was this move by your state and others? Why is this necessary? Well, we've had individual state litigation um, across the country. I think there's 17 states that are in some portion of litigating whether... um, Donald Trump is eligible to be on the ballot this fall for president uh, if he were nominated by the Republican uh, nominating electorate. Um, Two of those state pieces of state litigation have resulted in rulings that the president, uh, President Trump, is disqualified, Uh, one from the Supreme Court of Colorado, the other from the Secretary of State of Maine. Uh, both of them relied on a, a Civil War era amendment to the Constitution, Section 3 of the 14th Amendment, uh, that bars insurrectionists from office. So we're hearing this rhetoric, the, the, what you're referencing here, this type of talk, uh, a constant drumbeat, if you will, messaging that democracy is in danger President Trump is at the tip of the spear of it all, they say. Uh, So my question is, what does this Colorado court decision, uh, as well as actions from other states, but what does this tell us about the left's willingness to literally go around the law to get whatever outcome they desire? Well, the question you're asking is, is exactly why we asked the Supreme Court to hear an appeal from Colorado 
I mean, it, that was a four to three decision in Colorado. There was a very well articulated dissent that said that the Colorado Supreme Court was denying Donald Trump due process of law by its action. Uh, and in addition to that, we have uh, a constitutional provision that says in Section 5 of that same amendment that it's Congress's role to pass legislation enforcing the amendment, not state court judges and certainly not the uh, Secretary of State of Maine. I don't even know if that uh, office existed when the 14th Amendment was, was passed. Yeah, great point there. Uh, you know, I, and I think another point in all of this, and you, you referenced it, but President Trump has not even been convicted uh, of having engaged in, in insurrection, but certainly, you know, the, the events of January 6th were only an insurrection, quite frankly, in the eyes of the left. I would argue that, and I believe others, most others would agree, that it, it was a, a, a riot at worst. Uh, I think that's worth noting, don't you? Well, you're getting to the question of legally, what is an insurrection for purposes of the 14th Amendment and the law and disqualification? Uh, and in fact, Congress has passed a law that says what insurrection is. It's a criminal statute that the government has to prove by proof beyond a reasonable doubt to convict somebody. Not only has Donald Trump not been convicted of insurrection, he hasn't even been charged with it in spite of the fact that we've got uh, a federal prosecutor who has brought two separate cases uh, and chose not to charge under that, that section of law. That ought to tell you something. Yeah, it really does. Uh, it tells me, and going back to the, really the previous question, the left will stop at nothing to circumvent the law even to uh, redirect meanings of, of words in order to accomplish political ends and that if we are going to have a serious conversation about threats to democracy I think this type of behavior has got to enter into the equation it's got to enter into the, de the debate on the table because this type of stuff is not American this is this is the type of things you would expect in third world countries not under the rule of law that we have been accustomed to here in the United States. You know, the only officers, they're the only positions in the federal government that are elected nationally. There's only two of them. One is the president, the other is the vice president. So they're kind of unique. Why did the, why did the framers, do you suppose, of the 14th Amendment give Congress the right to enforce, make the laws regarding um, the insurrection clause? It's a very simple answer and right. obvious as the nose on your face. <clears throat> we can't have 50 separate states making 50 separate determinations. It'll be chaos. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, listen, our time is about to run up, uh, run out, and I wanted to ask you this. I, I know that uh, you've spoken in favor of Ohio's HB 68, the SAFE Act, uh, that Governor DeWine there vetoed uh, several uh, days ago. Uh, but now we have a movement potentially uh, getting ready to override the veto. How encouraged are you by the state lawmakers uh, in their attempt to override the veto and protect the children of Ohio? 
Well, the uh, House of Representatives will vote on Wednesday, uh, is my understanding. And uh, while I certainly haven't spoken with every member of the General Assembly, um, I'm cautiously optimistic that they're going to do the right thing and override the governor's ill-advised veto on, on House Bill 68, which uh, I'll remind your listeners uh, prohibits biological males, people with an XY chromosome set from competing against people with XX chromosome sets and prevents um, surgical and uh, pharmaceutical interventions uh, on gender for minors, just for minors. Thank you. Adults can do what they want. Thank you, Attorney General Dave Yost of Ohio. You're a great leader. We appreciate it very much. And thank you for joining us on Washington Watch. All right, friends, after the break, Tony is going to be joining us from Baton Rouge, where Attorney General, former Attorney General Jeff Landry has been inaugurated governor. Stay tuned. We'll be back. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroic faith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroic faith. Good afternoon, and thank you so much for joining us today on Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody Heiss, sitting in for Tony, who will be back tomorrow. And in fact, he's going to be joining me right now in just a moment. Here's the backdrop. Last night, Jeff Landry, who, of course, is a frequent guest on this program, he took the oath of office to become the 57th governor of Louisiana. He's a former congressman. He's Louisiana's former attorney general and now he's the governor. But he used his campaign for governor to champion the message of pro-life, pro-family, pro-parents. He led the way on all of these issues when many people said you can't win 
with that message. Well, joining me now to discuss what Governor Landry's election means, both for Louisiana as well as the direction of the conservative movement across the country, is our very own Family Research Council President, Tony Perkins. Tony, always great to have you. Hey, Jody, thanks so much for filling in for me today. I greatly appreciate it. Well, you've got your hands full with the inauguration and a host of activities taking place, and we just thank God for the role that you have there. And, Tony, I want to begin by um, saying something that I don't believe you would ever say yourself, and I believe it's important for this to be brought out. But decades ago, you actually moved to Louisiana at a time when that state was filled with corruption. It was not really a place you wanted to be, and yet there you were as a security guard. And now last night, you are giving the prayer at the inauguration of the governor, and you, Family Research Council, and many others, but you leading the way really have been an instrument for God and to turn that, that uh, state around. Um, I know you probably wouldn't do this without being asked, but tell us a little bit of the journey of what last night meant to you and why. Well, yeah, thanks, Jody. Uh, I, well, I graduated from high school. I went straight into the Marine Corps. And when I was in the Marine Corps in my basic training, my, my folks moved to Louisiana from Oklahoma. So when I finished my basic training, I was initially in the uh, Marine Reserves. I ended up going back in for about three years full-time in the Marine Corps. But I came back here, and uh, it's the only place I had to go. So I came here, and I'll tell you, I did not like this state. Uh, there was uh, corruption, political corruption. Uh, and uh, it, you made reference to my first job. I was a security guard. I was 18 years old. I worked nights uh, guarding an empty bank building downtown. And last night, as I was standing on the podium, uh, as the Lord gave me the opportunity to pray over this state, I could see that bank building right there. And, and it was, uh, I shared this with my wife this morning. It was actually, the Lord kind of spoke to me this morning. Uh, you know, years ago, it was 42 years ago, I was uh, a watchman at a bank. Last night, the Lord allowed me to be a watchman over the state, proclaiming his word and his truth. And so the, the, the point there is that, look, the Lord, as long as we're willing to be servants, and that's for all of us, what I've seen happen in this state as I decided if I was going to have to live here, the Lord wouldn't let me leave. I was going to do my very best to change it. And it was 28 years ago that I took the oath of office to serve in the legislature. And this state has changed radically. We've seen tremendous change. And Jeff Landry, as you just pointed out, is the, the moving us forward. I am excited about the future of our state because when I was, uh, th those 42 years ago, we didn't have any... Uh, uh, Republicans to speak of. In fact, when I was elected, we had one statewide Republican, and we were in the extreme minority in the legislature. And now, super majorities in both the House and the Senate, every statewide elected official is Republican. But it's not just Republican. It, it's about policy initiatives. It's about ideology. It's about commitment. And you're right. Jeff, last night in his speech, I thought, did a great job talking about education, the indoctrination, and parents should have the say in what their children uh, are taught. He talked about crime, making our streets safe again. And so I, I think Louisiana, as I prayed last night, and I felt the Lord led me to pray this, that as our leaders line up with him and do what honors him, this state is going to be blessed in such a way that the rest of the nation cannot deny it. 
Wow, that's powerful. Yeah, you know, just watching it all, listening, reading about it, it seems like Governor Landry has demonstrated that candidates don't have to run from these issues, from life, uh, from parents, from uh, all the education. All these. You can be pro-life. You can be pro-family values and still win. Your thoughts on this as we wrap up this segment? If you believe it, say it. And if it's really who you are, you should not. Uh, you can't, quite frankly. You can't hold it back. And, and this is who Jeff is. He spoke it. He wasn't afraid of it. And this really, this is why the media is not paying a whole lot of attention to the first governor to take office in 2024. It does not fit the national media's narrative. It's not what the left is telling us America is. It is the total opposite. But here's hope that if all of us will vote, will stand, will we'll pray, we're gonna, we can see these same results across the nation in 2024. Well, I believe we will, Tony. Again, I just wanna say hats off to you. Congratulations to you, to Jeff Landry, to all the people of Louisiana. I believe that state has become really a beacon of hope for the entire country with the drastic turnaround that has taken place in that state and you've been right in the middle of it all and we are deeply deeply appreciative of your leadership there as as well as your leadership here only by the family research council only by the hand of god and we would want nothing less than just that thank you tony welcome back to washington watch tomorrow All right, friends, stay tuned to Washington Watch. FRC's very own General Jerry Boykin will be joining me after the break with his thoughts on this bizarre story involving the Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin and his departure from where he was while in the hospital. Stay tuned. We'll be back right after this. Christians must be sure to faithfully think about the issues that have taken our culture and many of our churches by storm from a biblical perspective. Family Research Council's David Clawson, along with co-authors Denny Burke and Colin Smothers, released a new book, Male and Female, He Created Them, a study on gender, sexuality, and marriage to help Christians better grasp the Bible's teaching about these issues. This study presents a biblical view of homosexuality, transgenderism, and marriage. With this new resource, readers will be given guidance on specific questions related to preferred pronouns, identity, intersex conditions, and other matters that our churches must be discipling their members to respond to with love and biblical conviction. As part of the study, readers have access to supplemental videos by Dr. Albert Moeller, Dr. Heath Lambert, Reverend H.B. Charles, Dr. Christopher Yuan, Dr. Rosaria Butterfield, and others that expand and elaborate the themes of each chapter. To purchase a copy, go to hecreatedthem.org. Today we find that global persecutions of Christians is growing more menacing every year. Family Research Council's Leela Gilbert, Ariel Del Turco, and Lieutenant General Jerry Boykin's book, Heroic Faith, shares personal stories from those who have endured religious persecution and gives a close look at the dire situations Christians often face due to dangerous and sometimes deadly opposition to their faith. The book's true stories of persistence and faithfulness amidst crisis offer inspiration and hope. Heroic Faith also provides insights into the ideologies driving the hostility and persecution, what steps the U.S. government might take to help, and how readers can best respond to the struggles of the faithful. It is critical for us to learn from our brothers and sisters who are suffering deeply and to do whatever we can to help. 
You can get your copy of Heroic Faith wherever books are sold or by going to frc.org slash heroicfaith. Again, that's frc.org slash heroicfaith. Men are constantly told that there is no place for their thoughts and concerns about abortion. However, this attitude ignores the fact that both women and men are deeply and personally affected by abortion. Furthermore, one does not have to be a woman to know that abortion ends the life of an innocent, unborn child. Every man has a role to play in protecting unborn lives and supporting the mothers in their families and greater community, which is why FRC's Center for Human Dignity has released a resource titled A Man's Guide to Standing for Life. This resource was created to help men positively address the topic of life. This guide will equip men with phrases to utilize or avoid, as well as practical tips for helping to protect life and the expectant mother or unborn child he knows. Every man has the opportunity to be an unborn baby's hero by stepping in to support a mother and speaking up for her child's life. Get this free guide at frc.org slash men to learn more about the important role men play in protecting unborn lives. Hi, good afternoon and welcome back to Washington Watch. I'm your host, Jody High, sitting in today for Tony, and thank you for being a part of the program all right, since the beginning of the year, we've started something new here at Washington Watch in terms of asking our viewers and listeners to participate in our very own uh, type of poll and questions related to SAGECONs, which of course is spiritually active, governance-engaged conservatives. We call them SAGECONs. Well, last week I asked the question, when it comes to the formation of your worldview, how influential is the Bible? Well, remarkably, 100% of you who answered said the Bible is very important to shaping your worldview. That proves this is absolutely, hands down, the most educated and informed audience in the country when it comes to spiritual truth. Well, these polls, these questions kind of we're taking internally. They're really helping us as we're trying to uh, shape where we go and some things that we're trying to put together. Tony will be back tomorrow hosting, and uh, maybe he'll have a tougher question for you tomorrow. But I just want to say thank you for participating in that. All right, let's get on to this next seg- segment that we want to discuss. Both the White House and the Pentagon are now literally scrambling to clean up the mess that has been created by Secretary of Defense Lloyd Austin's failure to inform the chain of command about his hospitalization last week. Impressed Flax are working to push a narrative that still leaves clear that the Secretary of Defense was in ICU. The Deputy Secretary of Defense was on vacation. The Department of Defense Chief of Staff was out because he was sick. And all of this is happening while the White House knew nothing about it. How in the world does a communication breakdown like this even happen? And more importantly, what does this indicate about President Biden and how this this administration and the staff is literally managing him? Well, joining me now to discuss this and more is General Jerry Boykin. He's the Executive Vice President here at the Family Research Council General Boykin spent the last four years of his 36-year military career serving as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence 
And of course, you know by now, he was also one of the original members of the U.S. Army's Delta Force. We're deeply grateful for him. General, as always, welcome back to Washington Watch, and Happy New Year to you. Happy New Year to you too, Jody, and it's great to be with you. Well, thank you. Let's let's set the obvious question. Uh, this situation with the Secretary of Defense, I mean, you spent many, many years in the Pentagon. You served as the Deputy Undersecretary of Defense for Intelligence. How do you explain such a communication breakdown as occurred here this week? Jody, I have never seen in my 36 and a half years in the military uh, a, a worse case of malfeasance and uh, lack of judgment. I can't explain it. This is something that uh, has to be taken very, very seriously because uh, we need to keep in mind that uh, here's a guy that uh, is, as the Secretary of Defense, he's actually involved in the uh, nuclear program and, uh, and he is one of those that uh, is in the loop if uh, that event should happen. Yeah, we had Senator Tom Cotton, we played a clip of him a little bit earlier, and he said, look, we're not talking about somebody who's over housing and ur urban development. We're, we're not talking about transportation. We're talking about, as you said, someone who, who is overseeing nuclear weapons, someone who is overseeing our military while we are currently engaged in some crisis situations uh, in different places in the world. And he is in ICU, and no one even knows about it. I, it's, it's unbelievable. Let's kind of roll back, General. What should have happened? How, what What was the protocol that should have occurred in a situation like this? Clear, there should have been a message. I mean, a, uh, a an opportunity for everybody that is involved to uh, understand what their role will be while. Uh, the Secretary of Defense is, is in the hospital. The notice should have gone out to everyone involved, and, uh, and they would have known that their, their responsibilities will be changing uh, while he is in the hospital, and they've got to be up to the task. And what is amazing is that nobody knew. Nobody knew it. I mean, just think about it. The president didn't know this. How could that happen? Well, it happened by malfeasance on the part of a number of people, not the least of which is in the White House. Uh, and that malfeasance now has many people calling for heads to roll, so to speak, calling for uh, the secretary to resign and a host of other things. You know, but it appears, at least at this point, it appears rather strongly that the White House is going to continue backing Secretary Austin. And so in light of that, Given what you know on how the Pentagon operates, why would you think at this point that the president is protecting or supporting Secretary Austin? Well, we're in a, obviously, we're in a, an election year. We're coming right up on it. And uh, I, I think that this is just one more thing to show that Joe Biden is not, uh, not running the White House. How can we any other conclusion than the fact that he is just not up to the task. And I, I, as again, I want to say, I've never seen anything like this in 36 and a half years. And uh, I don't know what to say other than 
uh, we we've got to we have to be very careful as we vote in this next election. We need someone that's up to the job, someone that cares about uh, national security, somebody that uh, has a demonstrated track record of leadership. And I'm sorry to say that right now our our president does not have any of those. Yeah, it really is a frightening time just watching. Um... You know, watching the way he acts uh, when he's on stage, when he's giving uh, different speeches, when he's in conversation with people, uh, does this somehow, this, the, and when I say this, the, this scenario with uh, General Austin, does this somehow reinforce uh, perception that this president is really nothing more than a figurehead and that his staff is actually running things for him. Is that kind of the perception you get from all of this? Well, I certainly, I certainly get that perception, uh, and I think everybody else is paying any attention. Now, you've got an awful lot of people that still support the president's um, way of doing business, if you will. But that said, I think that it shows he's weak, and it also shows that uh, he does not have his eye on the ball and, and this is what results when you have a president that is not up to the task. Okay, so we have a, there, there's a number of possible things going on here, General, and this may be totally unfair for me to go down this path with you, but I think nobody understands this more than someone like you and your background. Um, but I look at this president and the Secretary of Defense I look at some of the things that have taken place with this duo working together uh, within our military structure. We've had an Afghanistan pullout that was a disaster. We've had military vaccine mandates that have forced many of our brightest and best trained out of the military. We have had woke military policies from DEI to LGBTQ to CRT, a host of other things. Uh, we now are watching abortion funding and the battle, Senator Tuberville. I mean, you just look at this one uh, policy issue, left-wing radical policy issue after another between President Biden and Secretary Austin. Is, is that perhaps why Biden could be supporting him right now, that here is a yes man so to speak, who is going to be uh, doing the bidding of the president within the military to advance a liberal left-wing radical agenda? Yeah, let me take you back just a little bit. Let's go back to the Obama administration. And it was very clear to those of us who were in the military, it was very clear uh, who was going to get promoted to the highest levels, the general officers, the flag officers, and, uh, and they were the people that were willing to support the Obama agenda. Those are the people now that were uh, promoted to the highest positions that we are living with today. They're the ones that are holding these, uh, these, these jobs that we were just talking about. And, uh, and I got to tell you, I think we are paying for it in a way that none of us, I certainly couldn't have predicted, that we would have this kind of situation, something as egregious as, as a Secretary of Defense really doing nothing, uh, uh, I'd say, that would 
help the uh, military in a, in a big picture way. And I, I'm telling you, Jody, this is, uh, this is something that Congress has got to get involved in. Congress has got to ask the hard questions here. And I think that they have to give this guy a good assessment. And, uh, and my, my ultimate uh, recommendation would, would be let him go back into retirement and enjoy it. Yep. Good, good consideration there. Well, we had Congressman Mark Alford on earlier, and uh, we were talking about some other things, but this issue did come up, and he did indicate, um, at least he said he hopes, that a hearing is going to take place in the Armed Services Committee to get to the bottom of some of this, and I think you're exactly right. Congress is going to have to get to the bottom of it. Uh, we also played a, a, a clip. I want to, if we can, let's pull up clip five, General Jerry Boykin. I want to uh, play this for you. This is Senator Cotton. He made a good point earlier today during an interview that he had with Fox. Let's play clip five, and then I want to get your reaction to this. You have to have the basic sound judgment to give a call to the president or the national security advisor and say, hey, I'm going in for this surgery, or you have to have your staff call in and do that. And if your judgment is so poor on such a simple matter, what does it say about your judgment on things like the withdrawal from Afghanistan? or the support for Israel in the Middle East, or efforts to deter China from attacking Taiwan. Hey, that's a yeah, great Jeff, point. Your, your reaction to that. This is a Secretary of Defense who can't figure out why we didn't meet our recruit, recruiting goals this year. Now, think about the fact that we put over 8,000 people out of the military because they wouldn't take uh, the jab, and, and here we are saying we just can't figure out what's wrong. We can't figure out why young Americans are not signing up. I can tell them in, in a matter of about two minutes. And and this is, as far as I am concerned, this is a major problem as well because it's not only that we're not getting the number of people we need, but what we're doing is we're running people out and they're going to spread the word to everybody else that uh, you don't want to be in the army. The army is going to harass you. They're going to do things to you that uh, you don't expect and that you don't, you don't want to be part of and all this woke stuff. I can help them a whole lot if they just want to know how to improve the recruiting. And uh, so far they haven't asked me. Yeah. I, Sure hope they will. Uh, it's desperately needed. Listen, our time is uh, beginning to wind down. And while I have you, I wanted to switch topics real quickly, if I can, to Israel. Uh, this morning, Israel's spokesman said that they have started a new and less intense phase of their war against Hamas. Uh, what was your thoughts on that? Yeah, my thoughts, my first thoughts are, I hope that this is not us, us being the United States and our and our leadership, uh, putting pressure on the uh, Israelis to do just what you said you, you just talked about. We need to let them fight this fight. We need to let them end it, and that's exactly what uh, Netanyahu said they were going to do. They were going to fight this to the end, and they and they were going to rid Hamas uh, of. Uh, their hiding places and all of their uh, engineering that has been so successful for them. So uh, what I would say is, uh, God, 
come quickly. Yeah, that's the truth. And but I agree, we've got to let them in this. If if they don't, Hamas will be back even with greater fury, perhaps not only in Israel but even here in the United States. But Israel also said over the weekend that after dismantling uh, the military structure of Hamas in the north. Uh, of the Gaza Strip that is now going to take a different tactic, a different approach in the south. What to you would that possibly mean? Yeah, I don't know what it means. Uh, and I'm not sure that anybody else knows what it means. What what I am going to uh, say is that I hope that uh, when it's all said and done, that Israel has been has has ridded itself of Hamas, and and as far as that is concerned, every other terror group that operates in that part of the world. But they've got to do it now. There's not going to be another event like this, and that's what Netanyahu promised, and that's what I think the Israelis expect. And I think that we we've got to stand with them, and we've got to make doggone sure that uh, based on. Oh, what the Bible tells us is so important for us to bless Israel so that we too may be blessed. And now what we're seeing is we're seeing, I think, we, we are seeing a, uh, a nation that wants to General fight Jerry Boykin. another nation that's supposed to be helpful. We've got to leave it there. General Jerry Boykin, thank you so much. Thanks for joining us on Washington Watch. Tony will be back with you tomorrow. Washington Watch with Tony Perkins is brought to you by Family Research Council and is entirely listener-supported. Portions of the show discussing candidates are brought to you by Family Research Council Action. For more information on anything you've heard today or to find out how you can partner with us in our ongoing efforts to promote faith, family, and freedom, visit TonyPerkins.com. Also, to leave a comment about Washington Watch, call our watch line at 1-866-372-7234. That's 1-866-372-7234.